What's up, world? Welcome to the positive truth, uplifting, and positive news to help you believe in yourself and the world around you. Tim, what are we trying to bring? Here at the positive truth, we're trying to bring awareness, empowerment, inspiration, optimism, and understanding to communities everywhere. JP, how are you, sir? Doing stupendous. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing amazing, sir. What is today's episode called? MLK Appreciation Day with the Positive Truth. Tim named it. I thought it was great. Yes! Because <laughs> <laughs> we are the worst at naming things. So, of course, it's MLK Day today. That's why we switched things around. We did the inspirational story on Friday. So we're going to talk about MLK's influences on the society today. That's what you're going to do, Tim. Yes, sir. And then I'm going to talk about little-known facts. And then we're going to talk about, for our audio meditation, you know, how we impacted our lives in a little fun way. So let's get to it, Tim. I am with it. Let's get some fun facts of Martin Luther King influencing the world today. All right, so we all know MLK. He envisioned a world where his children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. We know this about MLK. We know a lot of things that we've learned in school or we've seen on TV, right? So I don't want to go too much in on his biography, but I'm going to talk about some things that I notice now as a 32-year-old man, right? So obviously his vision was amazing, right? He wanted, he believed that all men were created equal and they should enjoy the same rights and privileges. He also had a non-violent philosophy as well that was inspired by Gandhi, which I thought was pretty cool because we all know about Gandhi and his peaceful acts. His vision changed the future. It's something that we all know about as well. He supported people all over the world. He was a part of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the Fair Housing Act of 1968. He's done a lot of things in his life. We know this already, right? But here's some things that I thought was really, really awesome. He changed the world. Here in the United States, he's going on all these nonviolent protests. He's trying to help out his community. But one thing that I didn't realize that not every state in the United States celebrated MLK Day until the early 2000s. But what I found out was just because people in the U.S. weren't celebrating him doesn't mean people in the world weren't. So there's other countries that he actually influenced, like South Africa. He inspired Nelson Mandela. Um, he influenced international law, um, which helped the elimination of all forms of racial discrimination. He's a symbol of peace and equality, of hope all over the world. And if you don't believe me, check this out, man. There are many tributes of King that reflect the extent of his influence around the world. Some of these landmarks include a 27-acre park in Paris, France. Um, he has a church in Hungary. He has a forest in Israel. He has a school in Ghana. And throughout the world, there are over 1,000 streets named after him as well. That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive, right? I would have never guessed that. I had no clue, right? Because in my head, I'm like, man... We talked about him on here. Everybody talks about him. It's MLK Day. We all appreciate this, man. What can we talk about on here that's different? So I wanted to find out some things that were different. And obviously, his ho this holiday wasn't celebrated by everybody. And come to find out, it's celebrated in other countries like Canada, like Holland, here in the United States, even in Japan, Hiroshima, Japan. It caught me off guard completely, man. And it made me appreciate him even more because he was thinking locally while he was trying to help out and create equal opportunities for us all. For us to be able to do this today but at the end of the day he changed the world for the better he inspired the world so many people were inspired off of things that he helped i, I didn't even know about like one little fun fact which i'm going to let you go ahead and take over that i found out was he had a huge influence don't let me take over <laughs> don't let me take your shine go tell me he had a huge influence on the first star trek now a lot of people are like star trek what does mlk have to do with star trek but a lot of people don't know nicole nichols was a lieutenant on this show she was the fourth in command on this show. This was the first black woman that a lot of people in the world saw on TV that wasn't a maid. 
like Whoopi Goldberg, for example. She even said when she saw Nicole Nichols as an officer on TV, yo, there's a black woman on TV and she's not a maid. This is one of the greatest African-American actresses of our lifetime. That being said, she was inspired because MLK talked Nicole Nichols into not quitting after one season of Star Trek because he said people need to see a woman in charge. People need to see a woman that is an equal of all these white women that are on, on that screen with you. So she decided to stay on the show, which inspired a plethora of African-American women and men throughout the United States. And that's just one little fun fact that I found out today. So yeah, obviously his vision, everything that he was about is still being appreciated today. Nothing quite like representation. Do In the media, in like proper representation in the media. Yes, sir. So before we get to little fun facts about MLK, we need to pause and do audio meditation where usually we talk about one thing we're grateful for each, but we should talk about MLK's influence on our lives. Doesn't have to be big. But what do you got, Tim? Man, honestly, uh, it's different for me this year. So when I was a kid, 12, 13 years old, learning more and more about MLK, I appreciated him and I looked up to him, right? I want to be like that to an extent, but I wasn't full-fledged bought in. But now as a grown man, I'm 32 finally. I can finally say I'm 32 without actually lying about my age. <laughs> I, keep, I keep saying I was 32 for six months. Um, now I appreciate him a lot more because now I'm in this position in my life where I'm thinking or I'm acting locally, but I am thinking globally. And when I say that, I'm doing small things here, but I really want to do it on a major scale. And I kind of feel like that's what he was doing. He was doing all these things to create equal opportunities for people in his community to make sure people were getting treated the correct way. But at the same time, his goal was so much bigger. So I can appreciate that from Martin Luther King now at 32 than I, when I couldn't, you know, at 13, 14 years old. Hmm. That's pretty good, Tim. I did some thinking when I read some of this stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. What's, what's interesting was whenever we were younger, there was a big Malcolm X thing going on. Like... Everyone was like, you got to read the autobiography of Malcolm X. But it was just like, them two were like, I guess, 1A, 1B, same person. The earliest I remember, like, an MLK story was, I was like 13, 14, 14, somewhere in high school. And we had a lot of black educators. We were just talking about representation. Most of the United States doesn't have a single black teacher. I had a lot of them, and they were, were debating the differences between the two, and everyone was on Malcolm X's side in this classroom, and we were all minorities. Like, there's not a single white person in this class I was in. It was like an English class or something. It was like a, I think it was a history class. That makes more sense. And you know me. Little, <laughs> I definitely do at this point. A little argumentative. So I just took the other side. <laughs> and the teacher was like pressing me on like why does nonviolence work why does nonviolence work and I remember thinking like well I like it dawned on me the connection of how it can work and I was like well again early 2000s gangster rap everyone was trying to be a gangster there was a lot of street Get and rich or die trying. I remember the album in 2003. There was a lot of street in the community and the culture. And I was like, you know, dying for some of this stuff instead of like coming together nonviolently to just talk about our problems and like black on black crimes, probably more beneficial. And then they were like, well, Malcolm X was trying to do this, this, and this. He was talking about building communities together. And I was like, yeah, but like the idea of sometimes violence isn't the answer. And you can build something together, but at a certain point, like, 
if you're fighting the system, you can't win through violence. And everyone in the class was like, oh, that works. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that does kind of work. But I had never, like, I had heard that story before, but until I said it out loud, until I was pressed, because, again, I was just trying to argue, until I was pressed on it, I hadn't really thought of it. So that was probably the first MLK story when I was like, oh, yeah, this nonviolent stuff works. That's actually kind of cool, man. To You got put in an uncomfortable position. I put myself in an uncomfortable position. Facts. Facts. You put yourself in an uncomfortable position, and you were doing it to argue, but then it made you think. That's awesome, man. To, I had no idea, because I know how what Martin Luther King means to you today. You know what I mean? So the fact that you fell in love with him kind of there in that instance is dope. Yeah, this was kind of a weird podcast for me, because I was doing research, and I was like, I've read the books. What am I doing research on? Trust me. Whenever you said, let's do this episode, I'm like, well, make sure I come correct, because JP will correct me. So one of the things that's been interesting about this year, we're just transitioning. Transitioning into fun facts. A lot of people, I'm just going to do fun facts, MLK facts I tell to people. Whenever they were doing the marches in the 60s, they would get kids to march, because a lot of times the adults didn't think anything was going to change. Whenever you're older, like 22, 23, 24 on, you have responsibilities to not only yourself, bills, but your family. And putting yourself out there for change is like risky. So a lot of the adults didn't want anything to happen for their economic thing. They're like, it's always going to be a thing. We should just put up with it because they didn't want to risk that. So he would get the kids because they would go out there and they would push for it. So what happened is they would go do these marches and they would show up and there'd be 50 to 100 people marching. But everyone else in the community would stand up and watch. And the media couldn't tell the difference. Wow. So they would be like, oh, 7,000 people marched. But it was really like 50, 100. And so when it, whenever like they would print that in the paper because they couldn't tell black people apart, that's how biased the media was, it would lead to these massive headlines. And it was just like this smart idea. That's why he kept using kids, because he, he would keep them out there, because he would just draw crowds, and they couldn't tell people apart. So a lot of those early marches in like Alabama, in Georgia, Montgomery, there were just small groups of people sticking together. Another fun fact, so in Memphis, well, the first time they did a march, like a few people rioted, right? And that, that was a theme, which is they would go protest and 5% of the people would come out and they would break bricks and all this. So he was hated because he would be this riot enforcer, right? Right. And you see that today. doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. We're all Americans. If you're protesting and you love, you love Trump or you're protesting for Black Lives Matter, 95% of the people out there are protesting for the right reasons and doing the right things. But if 5% of the people do something bad, that's all that's focused on. And he would always push, like, it's about the larger message. He was fighting this. And so if you read his old messages, he'd be like, don't believe this. You have to come out here and see it. Which would draw bigger crowds, and then, again, people couldn't tell the difference, and so it would gain more and more followers. Another thing that benefited from nonviolence, fun fact, is he wanted people to react harshly to him. So he would go march in some places and the sheriffs wouldn't do anything. They're like, we're not gonna hose you down, we're not gonna do anything, we're not. And they would tell the media not to talk about it because if it got talked about, it would get recognized in other countries, like you were saying, 
with the with the like national media and everything. So if you hose him down, or you attack him or anything, he enjoyed that because he's like, it's I'm working gonna... because now now he gets put on TV and you're like, everybody gets to see how wrong they actually are. Exactly. That, yeah, that was his game plan for sure. And it's like such a smart idea. So a lot of the sheriffs would just be like, let them be. And then people in the community like, don't do this. They would like. There would be white people in the community like, nah, you need to go after them. Don't let them do this. And so the one, the ones that were just like, let them be, those towns, sheriffs would tell other people like, no, we can't do that. But then they would get peer pressured and they would go out there and the cops would do awful things. And even if only a few cops did it, it's like this, the opposite way of the media. If 95% of the cops went out there and just protected the protest and then 5% did something bad, the media would only focus on those 5% and so they would win that way. And it was this constant tug of war. It's a game of chess for sure. That was always like really interesting. So whenever you got the governor or the police chief that was like really gung-ho, like we're never going to have blacks in the community, those are the places he would go on purpose because they would do something extreme and then in a whole other country you would have Kennedy, Johnson, and they'd be like, other countries would be like, how are you going to talk about democracy? Look at this. This dude's doing this, this, and this in the community. They just want equal rights. Y'all are over here doing this to them. And it was just like, oh. It was like egg on the face of democracy because they were the Cold War. They are trying to push capitalism and freedom. And it's like you don't have either of those things right now. They don't have capitalism because they don't have equal rights. And they don't have freedom because they're getting attacked and they don't have equal opportunity. And so the economy and the government was like, <laughs> damn, we have to change this. And it was just such a smart strategy and a smart play. And then the Mandela effect, of course. Of course, man. Where Mandela in apartheid was like, we can't win. We have to do nonviolence, and he ended up getting locked up for years, and then came out and became. He lived it. He did it. he basically Mandela, is MLK if you never get shot and killed, and you put him in a leadership position. And that's the biggest legacy right there. He just he ended apartheid, in a whole nother country. Boom. The thing is, MLK still inspiring and and helping out today, and he's no longer with us, and it's beautiful because. His legacy, it means everything. There's so many fun facts that we're still learning. I mean, we're still young. We didn't major in MLK, you know what I mean? So there's so, so much out there to learn. There's so much out there to find out. I'm very happy, though, to hear about these fun facts. I'm very happy to know that he inspired so many other people in this, not just in the U.S., but in the world, man. This is an amazing appreciation day in my eyes. Last two fun facts. I'm he was it. hated when he was alive. So anytime you see someone, doesn't matter what sort of the political sphere they are on. Every, he was one of the most hated person in America when he was killed. That needs to be remembered. Sometimes when you're working for positive change, you get some pushback. So let's just remember that everyone hated him when he was alive. Another fun fact was after 64, after the first Civil Rights Act, when they were working on the second one in 68, mm -hmm. he changed his policy to be like, we need better economic opportunities for everyone. And he was like, less poverty, let's get rid of poverty, let's make get rid of homelessness, and that's what he was pushing. So when he was in Memphis, when he got shot and killed, 
there was the sanitation workers were black and they were getting 10 cents less. And he was like, oh no, that's not fair. So they all boycotted and they were like, we're going to get our 10 cents. And that's why he went back there because he was like, economic opportunity, equal opportunity for everyone. The businesses shouldn't have complete control. They shouldn't be allowed to victimize workers. Let's end poverty, let's end hunger, let's improve education for all. That's never talked about, but it's probably more relevant than ever. Man, I really wish I could find that article that was talking about that that protest. Like, he's famously known for that. I had no idea about this protest. I'm actually going to do a little bit of research on it just so I can find out. Maybe next year I'll talk about it some more. But it was, I guess it was really bad out there before he got there, and he was able to just make it as nonviolent as it possibly was. Like, everybody knew him after this protest, which I thought was pretty awesome, man, that you brought it up right now. I mean... They just didn't have sanitation workers because they weren't working when the trash was filling up in the streets. It wasn't really like a violent thing. It was the first time he was there they marched for freedom. And a few people were violent, so they were like, oh, MLK's leading riots. Right. Man, that's awesome, man. MLK's awesome. And JP, with all the fun facts, he didn't have to do any research. That was just in his head already. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't do any research. Trust, I know, I know. We have MLK Day quotes, MLK Day quotes. What do you got, Tim? I do, man. Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. Quotes by Martin Luther King Jr. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Do sabes. If you want to support the podcast, make sure to like, share, subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star review helps us out so much. Helps us spread our message of positivity out to the world. We also have a Patreon where if you subscribe, you get a bonus positive news episode every single week. And we take all of our Patreon money and our sponsorship money and we donate every single month when we do our favorite positive news stories of that month. And whoever the Patreon tells us to donate to, that's exactly where we donate to. We're out. Stay positive.